Welcome to this episode of Let's Connect for Good. My name is Alicia Sternberg-Yanos, and welcome, welcome. Have you ever been in a place where you just wanted to scream because you've gotten so much built up inside of you you want to cry, but you definitely aren't sure you can find a safe space to do that? Sharing our darkest fears or something that's happened to us in the past, well, that's private. Because of the world we live in, we feel like we might be judged or less than. Maybe even we're afraid that we won't be accepted by our peers. This is something that's not gender specific. However, for men in particular, it comes with a whole host of other evolutionary and societal mores that keep them from reaching out. There's an organization that was founded by a group of men and it's got the diversity and warmth of a patchwork quilt in terms of their backgrounds, who they are culturally, what they've experienced, and let's face it, individually, we are all different and have different experiences in life. So it's fortuitous that this group of guys actually found each other and said, we're not getting what we desire and we're certainly not finding what we need. So off they went to Western Massachusetts and they sat together in a barn and they hashed it out and they talked about things and did things that guys do. They went outside and they hiked around the countryside. They did whatever they needed to do to get themselves collectively to the place where they found those tools and thought maybe that's the path to learn as a man. Maybe we'll be able to emote and maybe we'll just come up with some of those tools that we need. Thankfully they did. And that paired with science and access for all makes every man unique and effective. Before we go on, I wanna just let you know that you will hear some references to James. James Marriott is my wonderful producer and he's always behind the scenes making everything possible. Now I'd like to welcome my neighbor and CEO and one of the founders of Everyman. Hi Lucas, welcome. Thanks for having me on. I was thinking about you and Everyman, and I started thinking about this podcast, and I noticed that there's been a theme of discussion around the importance of reshaping approaches used by institutions, which are outdated and in need of some innovation and new lenses to think through. Our guests, they all seem like they're leading the way with their organizations um, with a focus and a nod toward accessibility, community, sustainability, inclusion, and uh, of course, connection, which is what we're about. So you've created a program that builds sort of around some of these pillars, but with a focus on helping a diverse group of men connect with their emotions in ways that are more accessible to men's sensibilities and meeting them where they are individually, instead of placing them in a program with preconceived ideologies based on a particular, often antiquated model. Is that a reasonable assertion? Sounds about right to me. So we should hear a little bit from you about a snapshot of yourself and your journey till you get to your a very, very involved position at every man um, and what that looked like. Yeah. God, where do you want me to start? I feel like I've I've lived a few lives. You know, I always like to say I'm just a kid from Kansas because I am a kid from Kansas. I, I grew up in Kansas and spent, you know, the first half of my life there. Growing up, my father suffered from bipolar, um, which sort of kind of shaped my first awareness and relationship with mental health. Unfortunately, he, you know, experienced bipolar disorder at a time when socially it was mental health wasn't wasn't 
normalized. And so there was a lot of struggle for him. And, and obviously there was, was also a lot of struggle in my house growing up. My parents divorced when I was young and my mom was a single mother to four kids. And she really did whatever it took to, to raise us. And she made the decision to send me and my brothers to an all boys Jesuit school to really support our growth as, as men. And, you know, that was really where I first had my, my exposure to all male retreats and activities. Um, And I can remember that I, you know, I always really connected with, with those experiences. I mean, they were, they were religious in nature, be it, it being a Jesuit school, but they were impactful for me as a, as a, as a young man. I've also always been an entrepreneur. Um, You know, when I was 11 or 12, I can remember you know, fearing not having enough money to go on a field trip. And I didn't like that feeling. And so I started uh, working at a very young age and eventually started a a landscaping company um, when I was about 13 years old, which I grew for the next 10 years before selling that that business um, and, and really ran that company all the way through college to, to help pay for my, my, my education. At the same time, uh, growing up in Kansas, I, I was always fascinated by the world outside of Kansas. Um, and when I was 15, my mom took my siblings and I to Europe to visit my brother who was studying at Cambridge. We went to France as well. And I can remember being in, in Paris sitting on, you know, eating a, eating bread on the Champs-Élysées and saying, you know, wow, if I ever had to work at McDonald's, I'd rather do it in Paris than in Kansas, which, which really kind of <laughs> yeah. m- motivated me to see the world. So after graduating college, I actually took a job overseas and, and spent 10 years living and working really all over the world. I've visited over 80 countries and lived in, in a number of them, the, the longest of which was Bangkok, Thailand before I decided to move back to the U.S. and I moved to New York City um, and spent the last 10 years there before moving to Hudson full-time during the, during the pandemic. So inevitably, there's a lot of stories inside all of that, which is probably longer than this podcast has. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think, the, I will say, I think mm-hmm. the things that are really memorable for me was, you know, when I was 27, 28 years old, I was living and working in, in Thailand. And I had a deep sense of, of homesickness. I really wanted to be around my family. And in order to continue this, this great adventure that I was on, I really learned how to disconnect my head and my heart, which served me, uh, but not very well. Um, and that caused me a lot of pain, emotional pain and, and, you know, kind of struggle as a young man. And eventually my, grandmother passed away and my my grandfather passed away and then eventually my father passed away all while I was overseas which were pretty big moments for me in my life and because I was so disconnected from my head and my heart I didn't go back to any of their funerals and so I never really closed that that wound and when I was 31 years old um, I was actually in business school at the time when my father passed away and I was studying in Shanghai Thailand or Shanghai China the night before, my sister had sent me a message, a BlackBerry message, if you can remember those, um, that said, Dad is dead. Uh, when I yeah. 
I had already sort of disconnected that part of my life because of our past relationship. And I can remember going to school the next day and looking at one of my classmates, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm fine. My dad died. And he looked at me with this, like, you're crazy. For me, I I was so disconnected from myself that that it didn't resonate. Well, about six weeks later, I had a total emotional breakdown and actually ended up in a Singaporean mental hospital. And I spent about three months just trying to make sense of my world after that. And that was when I decided to move back to the States and um, started my next chapter in New York City, which is a whole nother discussion. (laughs) I'm sure it's a fun one though. I think a couple things probably, being overseas, because I travel a lot and I have the travel bug and I can be a little nomadic um, if given the time and opportunity. Uh, but I do think when you're what's the good and the bad is that you learn a lot about other cultures, right? If, mm-hmm. if you're living in a place. But one of the things I'm super aware of being in the States, too, is especially now in certain circumstances, we're still living that people feel excluded or don't necessarily feel that they fit in culturally or maybe don't feel like they can share or communicate or know where a safe place is when you're in another country or, you know, if you haven't really connected. And I'm, I think probably if you'd been disconnected that way, that probably made it that much harder because you were physically removed from everyone. Right. And then you obviously weren't opening your heart to anybody. So you were probably on that, that wheel, that hamster wheel. Right. Well, often, and, right? and I didn't even know how. No, no one had taught me how to do it. And as a man, yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we're really right. lacking. No one had taught me how to connect with that part of myself. I, I didn't have the tools. And then I also didn't have the, the license to be able to express that level of need and vulnerability when I was going through that, that difficult time. You know, and I see a lot of men that that are obviously experiencing the same thing. And I and I do believe travel is, uh, you know, it, it's it's an incredible thing. It's been very very important in my life. And it was funny. Just the other day, somebody asked me, like, "Well, why did you come home?" Uh, you know, after ten years of living and working abroad and sort of chasing adventure and you know extremes on all fronts. There was a feeling inside me that was like I just I just wanted to be home. I, I didn't want to be an outsider navigating a culture that wasn't my own, you know. And so now, mm-hmm. you know, at the age of forty-two, like I'm very happy living in a small town in upstate New York because I don't have this deep desire to feel like I have to be somewhere else, you know, because I I know what I know what that's like. Yeah, when you say disconnected, though, because I have myself had a major disconnects in my life and hearing what you're saying and reading and listening to some of your interviews and so on, I can sort of relate. Did, was, was the need to come back because you lost people. Now you loved your grandparents, right? You were kind of close to your grandfather and not so much your dad, but it was after that, Mm -hmm. that you fell apart. Right. And, and, when you were in a place where you could come back, I think maybe sometimes we have to go back to where we're, f- we're from to mm-hmm. make things real. Yeah, I, I think like I, I certainly wasn't going back to Kansas. But to your yeah, home, which to is my this home, country. which is which is that country. And, and I'm, you know, one of the things that I'm very fascinated by is our willingness to deny our evolutionary biology and then wonder, oh, why am I feeling this way? 
we're born in a country, you know, and we're given a, a, a an ethnicity and a community, and those aren't necessarily things that we get to choose, but they were, but they're part of us, and they're very important right. to our our being, right? Human beings, we were supposed to live mm-hmm. in community, in connection with others. We have this belief that we don't need to do that, and then we wonder why we're feeling a certain way. Isolation, right? right? Feeling isolated. Nothing worse than isolation. I I wanted to jump into, it's a good stepping off point, I think, for this, for men in particular, because I think there there are some things that I think that keep men from seeking support. And and that gets back to sort of evolutionary things, social things, you know, cultural things, uh, individual things about things that happen in your home, for example, or Mm -hmm. things out of your control, in addition to all these other things. And I think one for men is a perceived image, right? Which impedes men from looking for help. And the image of like being the strong, capable, successful, societal pressures for masculinity, all of these things. And I think that's something that has been a stopgap probably for men, right? It's this idea of having to be this particular way or being because of what society tells us. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, there's, I think there's two thoughts that I have. One, the, the, the incentives are, are in place for us to be that. The incentives are, there's only one CEO, right? The incentives are around singularity and we're conditioned to compete yeah. at a very young age, right? And and we oftentimes compete at what we believe to be as a zero sum game. And so if the modern day definition of masculinity is, oh, how important is your job and how much money do you have? And what what material things do you have? That's the That's how the game has been set up for us. And so, and the incentives are in mm-hmm. place for us to play that game and win. So then we right. wonder why, why we don't behave another way. And to your earlier sort of point, like, I think about why we have to call it help. You know, you say men don't ask for help. It's like, why do right. we have to project need always as a weakness? I don't see help as a negative. I think the ability to ask for assistance, help, whatever, whatever terminology, and I'm, and this gets to my whole thing, language mm-hmm. matters, right? Language matters. And men and women communicate very differently with one another. And I think that's like for us, you could say something to me, I just said help to you and you had a reaction to it. Where I, coming as a female, I'm like, but that's the reason why language well, matters it, when we're trying to I communicate these language, things, right? It's, right. Or, or illness. Totally, I totally like, agree you know? with you. And the only reason I called yeah. it out is like, we have this tendency to frame things around men like we need help. We're broken. We're we're yeah. screwed up. We're, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. and I I just like I don't I just don't buy into that. We aren't broken. We don't necessarily need help because the orientation for most men is in the direction that our society has told them to go. Yeah, no, it's totally. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm right. saying help pathways. When I used help, it wasn't associated with men. It was totally. finding pathways, right? Totally. So where are they, right? So, so, but I, I'm going to go back to this whole idea 
of I'm tired myself of people talking about mental illness. And guess what? You know, nobody puts a stigma around somebody having, mm-hmm. you know, cancer or whatever, whatever it is. And it's and that makes us just yet another barrier for people to feel like it's, you know, there's a weakness in this. And, you know, look, I don't know anybody that really had made it through or is making it through COVID without some kind of lapse of something, because it's been it's been one of those things that I think shows people that, you know, we're human and we're vulnerable, right. all of us, all of us. And it's about connection. And when we lose that connection, no matter what your state is, right? That can knock people down. Right. And then the um, reality is a lot of us have, you know, prior yeah. to COVID, we've been living out of connection. We, we, you know, so it's like, I think what mm-hmm. COVID did exacerbated an underlying condition, which we were all, which we were all experiencing. And for the first time, we all collectively yeah. experienced that sense of isolation and loneliness. And because we were all experiencing it, right. we sort of collectively normalized it. And now we can have a conversation around it, which I think on one hand, is it's a great thing, right? It's, it, you know, for all the, the lives that were lost and the, the, the economic, you know, impact of COVID, I do think that there was some incredible things that came out of that that time and that we're still experiencing. And there's a, there's a part of me that hopes that we don't ever go back. Well, prioritizing things, right? Like not living for your work 24 seven, right? People actually, people don't want to work now, right? People are like, wait a minute, you know what? And people are still quitting. They're like, I'm not going to put up with this baloney. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not happy here, (laughs) right? Uh, You know? Which we should take a look at, you know, culturally and in society. I think that's a big, it's a big issue. Well, it gets back to your comment about having to drive to be, to getting to that one position, right? And everybody's a thief and then there's the king, right? And everybody has to be, and people are tired. We're tired. And what's, and and really in the end, what's the most important thing is connection with people. And that's, I think this sort of, this tilt that's happened is good. I mean, I actually do think it's good. And loss of life is horrific from COVID, but it is bringing people together and making an equal sort of path that anyone can die from this disease. And people, you know, right? That's something... (laughs) Yeah, it's forced us to recalibrate. And, you know, to your point about mental health, like the behavioral healthcare industry has done an incredible job telling the world that there's a mental health crisis. And there is a mental health crisis. But at the same time, they're also saying that the way we deal with that mental health crisis is, you know, to go to talk based or evidence based therapy or prescription drugs or any number of things. I'm not necessarily saying I'm not saying those things are wrong. But if we look at, you know, if, if, if we are in the midst of a global pandemic of mental health, then the traditional way that we address that problem through talk-based evidence-based therapy and prescription drugs, like it doesn't scale, it doesn't work, right? Um, and so mm-hmm. that model- Right, and your body gets used to the medication right. after, a period of time and then it doesn't work anymore. What I think that yeah. we need to accept as human beings is suffering is part of our human condition. Uh, I, I mean, Buddha has been talking about this for thousands of years, right? I, I'll, I'll never forget when I was in Singapore, I was with a, I was seeing someone after my breakdown and she said to me, you know, 
I always think I think it's so interesting in the West that that you think that you should be happy all the time. <laughs> um, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you see that? You know, for every mm -hmm. three years of good life, we have seven years of bad life. Right. And the bad life actually makes the good life that much mm -hmm. better. And so I do think that there, there's so much of what, what our work is focused on at Everyman is finding a, a, a better path for caring for ourselves and others. It's interesting because, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the podcast, but one of our guests has had a per personal experience with his team. All of them are survivors of sexual misconduct mm -hmm. and abuse. And they are taking a look at the way that is handled in K through 12 from, a, from their perspective. And the fact that they've actually been able to do that is, is creating modalities that people hadn't thought of before. Because, and, and also because of the, the way the systems are in schools, right? They, they're changing the dynamic on that. But I believe all of the founders, right? I mean, that's why you came together. You were trying to find a way for men to come together. I mean, I know wilderness, like camping and hunting and, and a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I, a family member of mine is, is at her best when she's out by herself and then with others walking right. in the wilderness and, and brings her mm -hmm. peace. And it's a way for her to connect. And I think the fact that you guys gathered together in this barn, right, in, in Western Massachusetts. We, we started there. We, we gather in in many different barns and in many different ways all over the, all over the world now. <laughs> right, which sounds fun to me. Talk about that because I do think when people who have been through something versus institutions where you may have been trained, but you aren't living it, you haven't experienced it, you haven't, it does give a perspective and a dynamic that mm -hmm. is often missed. Well, society would call that a trauma right? We had a traumatic event. And, you know, for survivors of, of sexual abuse, unequivocally, that is a trauma. But the reality is, is that we all experience trauma. And we all process that trauma differently, right? And what we don't want to do is I, we don't want to go down the path of me comparing my trauma to your trauma, because my trauma is my experience it impacted me in this way and that's unique to me and that's okay. Right. And so right. I think what's important is that we all have to accept the fact that none of our parents were perfect. None of our, you know, events and experiences in life were void of all trauma. We've, we've experienced trauma somewhere along the way and that's impacted us. Some could say big, some could say small, That's but right. those are those are unique to the individuals. Right. The question is, is what do we do with that and how we how do we go forward? You know, and to your point about nature, one of the one of the funny things in, during COVID was that I would talk to people and they would say, oh, you know, I feel great. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. What's different? Oh, you know, I'm spending more time with less people and I've been going on these walks with my spouse. We can't go to sports games, so we're going to go hiking or we're going to go camping. And the universe figured this out for us at the outset, right? You know, food grows out of the ground. Yeah. You know, nature grounds us. 
and makes us feel, you know, yes, less does. stressed. God, we created air so that we can breathe, right? We created, you know, there's water so that we can hydrate ourselves. Like so many of the things that we need to be complete humans are right in front of us. We just have gotten so far away from that that we're surprised. You know, in Native American culture, th there isn't a word for nature because there, we are we are nature. We're we are part, part of, of nature. It. There's no yeah. distinction. But because we've created these distinctions, you know, we've packaged them and productized them and marketed them and all these things. Yeah we've gotten further and further from them. And then we wonder right. why, why this right. imp impacts us in this way, which to kind of the heart of this conversation is connection. You know, at every man, we actually, we practice a, a modality that was developed by the co-founder of every man and really the, the developer of, of the every man method, which is the core of our work over the course of the last 30 years and, and a core part of that methodology is what we call co-regulation. So we actually have a research study happening right now between uh, two major research universities on the efficacy of human connection and co-regulation and its ability to down-regulate our, our stress response. Through that down-regulation, create deeper connection with other humans, which energetically and we know this through quantum physics and noetic sciences, provides us nourishment. You, you know, there, there is real nutrient in connection that helps us to live happier, healthier lives. You know, and it's, it's funny that I have to go so far as to, you know, getting researchers to prove that connecting with others supports our health and well-being but it, you know if that's what we have to do to get people to realize that this is the nutrient that they need then so be it connection has been around forever forever and ever people lived in communities and they took care of each other and you know look at animals Look how animals behave. Look how they move. Look, you know, there's some solitary animals too, but you know, for the most part, they're well, in packs. I would totally agree with you. I mean, one of the, you know, a, a, a great example is look at Native American cultures and other in other cultures, you know, all over the world. When a woman births a child, she's cared for by the by the tribe or by the community, right? And she's she's nourished back to health after that experience in community and in connection. And what do we do now? We send a woman home right. from the hospital and put her in her house with her baby. She gets postpartum depression and we say, oh, like what's wrong? And, and I, I, as a man can't begin, you know, I, I, I've never experienced that for myself, um, but certainly I have, I have women in my life that, ha that have. And, you know, again, going back to my earlier point, like, why do we deny our evolutionary biology? Well, I don't, but um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't think James does, but there are people that, you know, and we know who some of these people are who love mm -hmm. us to live this way. Disconnected, unhappy, unhealthy. There's no problem with climate. You know, you and I and James could probably talk for another like four hours about that because that's super important mm -hmm. to all of us. But, you know, the, 
when I, I, I have a quote of yours, which gets to this idea, you know, I was, you know, we were yeah. talking about tools, tools that were useful, that, that uh, drew you to, to what you're doing today. And you said, we saw the need for something that is between primal emotional expression that can be hard to translate into everyday life and medical therapy. It is both science-based curriculum with how and why to express and act on emotions and a daily practice to create and strengthen more authentic relationships. I don't know where I said that, but it sounds good. Remember that? It sounded good to me, so I thought I would use it. Um, how do you respond to that? I, I thought that was great because it gets back to evolution. No, and, and I think that that summarizes it very well. I mean, our, our being as a human, there's three bodies, right? Our, our, our mental, our physical body, our mental body, and our emotional body. And the, the interconnectivity between those three bodies is what, is what makes us human, right? We're now at a stage in, in, our, in our evolution, in our world, where we have you know, AI and robots that can do mental and physical things. But to date, none of those things can feel, right? And I say that right. because it's like at our core, the, mo the most sacred thing that we have as human beings right now is our ability to feel and emote and connect from that place. You know, we, we look at the world and it's like, wow, what's happening? Things can think for us and do things for us, but like, how do we protect what is sacred to us as humans and as men? Well, it's our ability to feel. Unfortunately, social conditioning teaches men to disconnect from their feelings. And we see this, there's been a lot of, of research done on this. There's actually a, uh, a medical term called alexithymia, which is the gradual atrophying of our ability to feel. That's demonstrated by the number of, well, one, just by simply saying, I can't feel anything. But we see that come to life by the number of, the decreasing number of words that humans and men use to express their emotional experience, right? You ask most guys, how do you feel? They say good or okay. Well, first of all, good and okay are not emotions. Second of all, that's very narrowing. Even, even if they were emotional, it would be very narrowing of your emotional experience. I can, I can bet that there's more going on for you than okay and good, right? right. But <laughs> if we can't verbalize what we're experiencing and what we're feeling, then you can bet that we're not actually even feeling it. And if we're not feeling right. it, then how can we connect with ourselves and connect with our others, can connect with others. And again, right. if we assume this, you know, this belief that there's a mental body and a physical body and an emotional body, well, there's a, then the, there's one part of our body that's not working, right? Unfortunately for men, the only sort of thing that we've been given license to invest in, in all three of those bodies, is really our physical body, right? It's totally normal for guys to go to the gym and work out and make themselves strong and have, you know, abs and all that. And like, hey, I'm one of those guys, right? But there's another part of us that we need to develop and invest into that's gonna support our right. 
physical body and our mental body, and that's our emotional body. And it needs to be nourished, as you were saying. You know, we need to nourish it in ways that obviously aren't being provided because they aren't being thought of, right? People just aren't thinking past that in terms of the way they're being delivered, which is why you guys are doing what you're doing. I want you just to, you know, we touched on a couple of these things, but I, I, I think that these things are integral to connection. And I, and I, I think that maybe just respond to them again. I, I, we've just talked about community, right? Because um, that's such a big thing. And I think that's a huge thing uh, for every man. But what, what do they mean to you first and then every man? You know, I think the word community has, it's been hijacked in the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so. Um, and I hear people all the time talking about community, 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 right? You know, the reality is a lot of us participate in sort of communities that are that are self-created. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's bad. We need those communities. But for me community is about connecting with and understanding and participating in a living breathing thing that doesn't necessarily look like me right yeah it's like oh wow i'm in this community it's like yeah you're you're in this community of people that can afford to be in this community that all kind of look like Mm -hmm. you right is that community? Yeah, that's one mm-hmm. form of community. Yeah, but you. the type of community that we need is connection and participation in community with people that don't look like us. And that's really hard because right. nobody that's, is yes, going to is. self-select yep. consciously or unconsciously to sit next to somebody that doesn't necessarily look like them. It's uncomfortable. Like we, we, you know, it's, it's a scary thing. And so we just, we have to look at that unconscious bias. And I think that we have to be, we have to force ourselves to connect with and understand people that don't look like us, that don't have the same jobs as us, that don't live in the same houses as we do all across the, you know, the, the socioeconomic wow. and, 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 you know, ethnic yeah. and, and, and gender spectrum. Like we have to, we have to do that. We have to force ourselves because that's what helps us to learn and grow and helps us to that's better it. develop our empathy and understanding. Yep. You brought up that word again. I mean, there's vulnerability, then it gets to em- empathy. And I'm a firm believer of people until you can really sit with yourself and connect with yourself, it's hard to connect with others. And and everyone does come at life from a different place, even, even within a community of like-minded people. But, you know, one of the things that was super important for me with this was to make it accessible for everybody, right? To make this a place where people feel welcome, where they're heard as much as I can, right? From my, from my podcast here. And, and, but that's why it's important for me to have people like you on and people like this gentleman that founded Architecture's yeah. Free Foundation because he was like, oh my gosh, right? Like, hate to say it, but like, this is the rich white man's privilege and they all got to go to great schools and still women and anybody that looks different and it's too expensive, it's exclusive. It made him, he came to that during COVID. He's like, what, 
he said, I'm privileged. He's originally from South Africa. He came here as a child. And people aren't happy, by the way, also. Like the professors aren't happy because they aren't given opportunities. And so he created this thing and it's taking off. And he's he's showing places like Princeton where he's going to speak this month about how important these things are. So it's getting people to see the inequalities that are out there and addressing them. So for me, that's why I'm doing this, because if I can get these conversations, instead of being shut down, because we have too much of, I said it before, I'm saying it again, the cancel culture. We have to listen to people and hear them. And you know, you don't have to always agree with them, but you have to give people a chance to tell you about themselves, who they are, where they're coming from, and give them, by the way, give them a voice if they don't have access. Uh, I, I, and that's super I, I important. I totally agree. And, you know, I th think the reality is, I mean, if we look at the yeah. the sort of the decreasing numbers of people that participate in organized religion that are more and more sort of connect, connecting through social media and everything else, like we're, this connection muscle is really atrophying. Um, and so we have to create new spaces. I mean, you know, one of the things that post Me Too, we burned down a lot of the, the traditional male only, you know, institutions, rightfully so, because a lot of those were were flawed um, in many ways and they weren't equal and, and we should. But at the same time, we do have to create new spaces. I was on the. I was talking to a reporter uh, last week who was telling me about universities that no longer allow men's groups. And okay, so if you're uh, like, where where do you go if you're a young man? I mean, like the 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 Boy Scouts is now called Scouts, right? Like, like which is great. Which is great. We're now saying that men and women can participate in that. Awesome, but we do need gender specific spaces for us to learn and grow as men and connect with other men, connect with ourselves in a, in a, in a healthy, positive way. And that, that's a big focus for us at, at every man um, because those spaces right now don't, don't exist and they don't exist with the right intention. Yeah. I don't have a problem with gender specific because there are a lot of women's organizations. I look, my daughter goes to an all women's college and she went to an all girls boarding school, but conversations are had, men are welcome on campus. They do things together. It's not like it's antiquated that way, but there is this thing about when people get together, that's uniquely who they are. I mean, for her, it was the right place for Great. her to learn. And then for men, I, I, so I don't, I think, and this gets back to, I think we have become a society, unfortunately, of it's all, it's one way or the other way. And any, and there's no sort of in between anymore. And that's not how reality well, there's, not, there's is, not even right? the in between. Um, My niece, she's playing football, right? And I was like, oh, that's great. Women can play football now. Awesome. But I'm pretty sure that boys can't go and play women's handball. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, and then we have these bigger conversations of like, oh, men are, why are men yeah. broken or screwed up? Or why are they doing these things? It's like, well, you know, we, we got to take a deeper look at some of these things and, and really try to figure out well, what is the, what's the common ground? What's the, what's the balance here? 
you know, right. especially at young right. ages. So that's another one of the things that I, I think is important are these conversations, because I really do think we're in a place where the way we're moving in so many ways is just not sustainable because people aren't able to converse because there's this thing where people have these, and you're, you're showing, you know, th this feeling like, well, wait a minute. I'm not allowed a voice now, or that's right. Or I can't say what I feel like everyone should have a right to feeling the way that they feel because they're coming from that. That's coming from their perspective, whether you like right. it or not. Right. But I think it, it goes back to these, these other things like sustainability, accessibility, and then ultimately like connection. But, you know, one of the big conversations and I, and you know, this, this goes to me too. And then boys who, because of the way the world is, don't want to talk about the fact that they were sexually abused. Nobody wants to talk about that, right? But when you're a little boy, because of all those things, oh my God, even worse, because, you know, what, wait a minute. And I can say that from my own perspective, having had an experience with mm -hmm. that. Somebody else might feel differently, but that's what I experienced, right? And so looking at like Jamie Forbes, who people hopefully will hear him on this podcast, when Milton Academy sent out this notice because the Boston Globe Spotlight had put out an article on an investigation on, you know, private schools and these abuses happening, they sent this note Milton Academy where he attended and his immediate response was like, I don't want to do that. You know, why would I? I'm not doing that. Right. And think about all the reasons why he's not doing that, because he's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, like I kind of come from a family where that doesn't work. Right. I I, I don't know. What is that going to look like for me as a person? Am I going to be shamed? I'm feeling embarrassed. This has been plaguing me. OK, so this is a man with married with two children. And this happened in the 80s. And then he sat with his wife and this gets to women and men communicating and sharing. Right. And, and let's get these conversations going again so we understand each other. And she said. Let's talk through this because this is an opportunity for you to use a platform to help others not go through this experience. And so he took it on and put it on his mantle and he said, you know what? I hadn't thought of it that, you know, he, because of all of the fear and all the stigma and all the rest of it that all of us go through. But I mean, his experience much worse than mine could ever, I could ever imagine, but mm -hmm. also being male. But he thought, you know, I have two daughters and this, these conversations have to happen. And so that's why I thought it would be interesting for organizations like yours. And like I told you about Think Like a Girl, right? And Tracy Alloway is celebrating the female brain. And I said, I think it's a great book for men to read because there is a disconnect in communication. And if we could just have conversations and then be in a place to talk to our kids so that when they're young, they don't have to grow up to our age. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the best of worlds, right? I mean, in the best of worlds. Um, and, you know, someone might say to me, Alicia, you're naive, you know, but you know what, if we don't have open minds and open hearts and aren't willing to have these conversations, then we're going to be stuck on that in this rat race. And we need to help mm -hmm. the kids. We need to get them to be able to talk to each other and, and say it's okay. So that if you're a boy and you're at a co-educational school and you have a friend who's a girl and you feel comfortable talking to her about somebody being inappropriate with you, wow, we've mm. won. And vice versa, because they have the language now, right? So that's where I see like the genius in getting organizations that want to celebrate men and women. I think they should be there. I think think like a girl is, is a phenomenal thing, right? Like 
I'm glad someone might understand my brain because I'm still working on it, right, James? But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's so if somebody's going to help me out, I'm thrilled with that, right? Mm. And I want to know. I think people want to know. They just have to be able to feel safe. So much of this is feeling safe. Uh, Do you agree? Totally agree. And I think what we oftentimes don't get to when we have those experiences, we don't feel safe. And in order to process those experiences, some would label them trauma. In order to process and work through them, we have to feel safe. Quite frankly, I've, you know, borne witness to thousands of men who just haven't felt safe. It's not a, it's not a conversation of, of masculinity, of weakness of any of these things. It's it's just a conversation of feeling safe because, again, back to our evolutionary biology, food, shelter, connection, those things allow us to feel safe. If we don't have that, then we, we can't really process and we can't really uh, move forward. Well, you know, I, uh, but can, you know, we send our kids off to school, right? And we expect them to be safe. We send our kids off to camp. We, you know, and, and without the tools, kind of what we've been talking about, having the tools, right? You, you were doing what you're doing because there, what, there, there wasn't a toolbox yeah. for men. There wasn't a go-to for men. Well, so let's create one yeah. for kids. And, you know, it's this generational issue too, because you know, I, I'm older than you, I admit it. And, uh, you know, and, and, and James, of course, I'm much older than James with the much exclamation point. But, you know, it's a generational thing. We need to have conversations and we need to be feeling like safe that it's okay to talk about it. And it took a lot. I mean, James knows for me to, to, to do that. But I felt like I can't talk to other people about it unless I share because that's the crux of the problem. Yeah. I mean, you can't lead people where any place you haven't been yourself. So that's why I was like, oh, I think it would be fun. I don't know if you'd be up for that, but I, I think there are things that can be created through, again, conversation. That doesn't mean it has to go anywhere, except for maybe having a conversation and getting perspectives. But I just see a lot of opportunity that's being missed in terms of finding ways, especially in the environment that we're living in, to look for opportunities to get people connected create safe places and understanding. I love it. I love it. That's what we do. Thoughts for you? Because I mean, do you want to talk to these people? Because uh, I, I just, like, we have this thinking sideways uh, thing that we do I mean, here. And we're like uh, all about trying to know, figure out connectors. I'm always down for a conversation that moves us forward. Those are, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's core to my purpose and my values uh, as an individual and certainly as an organization. So um, I feel a great sense of responsibility yeah. to that. And I, you know, I mean, and too, like for other people to come on here, I always want, I mean, I love to go down rabbit holes. I want people to come mm. on and talk to me about things that they're, when they're not being heard, because I think we have a real problem with that too. But I mean, I have to do my little toss out to everybody just, just so you know, because I haven't really been saying anything. We want to hear from you. And if that person is you or that organization is you and you want to, come and talk about something or I'm sure Lucas would love to hear from you and um, James probably would, (laughs) right, James? But I do because the only way 
this is going to work as if we're willing to have conversations with people. You let us know how we're doing. Um, are we missing something? Uh, you know, I, I want to hear it because I want this to, to be something where people feel included and have a voice because everyone's opinion and voice counts and matters to me. Lucas, do you have any thoughts? No, I or... mean, I, I, from, from my vintage point, we call it every man because it's for every man. It's really that simple. You know, if, if somebody wants to show up and, and invest in themselves and do the work to be a better version of themselves, whatever that may be, be a better partner, be a better leader, be a better father, you know, that starts with self. And every man has a place to, to come and start that journey. Um, and I'm, I'm supportive of, of anybody, you know, doing anything to support individuals on that journey. Um, whatever it may look like, uh, male, male or female. And by the way, I'm going to do another <laughs> plug for Wild because you guys are, there's a community. You're building community there. You make people feel safe. It's comfortable and it's it's a nice, warm environment. And it will be where I run to get coffee later because I am down the street in Hudson. Poor, uh, poor Lucas. I show up with my dog, Malcolm. But so so anyway, I, I want to do also say one more thing. Um, for Lucas, because he is very generous and they are generous as an organization. And it is a place where they want to make it accessible financially for people. He brought that up earlier about his experience when he was young. And it is important. Like we, if we really want to give people a place to be, to, to learn and to share and to meet people they haven't met before, accessibility. And so I'm, I, I, I think every man is, is doing a fantastic thing with that. So I just wanted to let everyone know that. And I want to thank everyone for joining us and come again and let's have some more conversations. Thanks, James. Thanks, Lucas. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me on and thanks for all the work that you're doing. I, I so appreciate it.